Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the national electric code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host as always, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast. Well, obviously, you can tell by the audio that I'm doing an on-the-road mobile podcast today as I head into work. So, I got a, a question that almost caused me to do a, a webinar on it, but then I pulled back, and of course, this webinar this weekend on November 2nd uh, at uh, 10 a.m. is going to be on GFCIs, AFCIs, uh, and things like that. But the question I got was, Paul, I'm an apprentice new in the industry, and I'm starting my apprentice journey in the residential work. I guess, you know, as an apprentice, you'll move through residential, commercial, do some industrial motors, and then you'll move up into code, depending on the number of years of your apprenticeship program. Uh, and he said he's starting in the residential, and he simply feels like when they go to the job site or, or go to work, that it doesn't feel like the electrician is there or that he knows how you really get started. And of course, you know, I've been doing this for over 30 years, and a lot of people say, Paul, you've gotten soft. Um, now, I still own an electrical contracting business, but I don't do as much work anymore. More, more often when I'm called out, it's to troubleshoot or fix things or, or things like that aren't working, and other electricians will reach out to me to help them out. Uh, that's typically what I do mostly in my uh, construction business now. Uh, most of the time, I've just been consulting and uh, writing code and things like that. But anyway, um, it's kind of like riding a bike, uh, you know. Wiring a dwelling is not brain surgery, of course. So <clears throat> some of the things that I do when I'm starting, and of course to help this apprentice out, is um, when I get up on the job, well, before I even do that, you know, most residential applications, they don't have any blueprints. You basically, when I first get a call to do a residence, and I used to do a lot of multi-million dollar residences back in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s, and... You know, you know, you kind of walk around with the customer, and they kind of give you an idea of what they want. You know, I want this, I want this. Of course, they know there's basic code requirements that we have to meet as far as receptacle placements and things like that. But they kind of go around and kind of point out things they want and some of the things that uh, they're going to have, some of the appliances. Because what I used to do is I walk with the customer, uh, unless I'm doing something that's a spec home, and that means it's just... Basically, the receptacles and everything gets laid out to, to basic code minimums, spacing, and things like that. But most of the homes I did were custom. Uh, so it also applies to the spec home once we get past the initial interview. And I would go around with the customer and say, is there anywhere special that you'd like some receptacles placed other than the norm? Um, your countertop spacing, how you're, uh, whether you're going to have any appliance garages, and how you'd want things to be spaced and placed and things like that. Um, I'd do all that with the customer. Um, I'd also ask uh, ahead of time if it's, again, if it's a custom home, if you have any appliances that you know in your mind that you're going to be using or you want in this dwelling so that I can kind of work together to start doing a load calculation. Uh, the jurisdictions that I work for, again, I was their consultant a lot of times for jurisdictions anyway, even though I did the work in those areas. Um, I would do some teaching for them. And, you know, they got into the custom of, of wanting load calculations. And, of course, I probably seeded that uh, in them because I think all people should not have to do load calculations. So it's kind of um, a little bit selfish in my own to make sure that people did it. And I would provide that for them. And really it was all a part of walking the job site with the customer or meeting and looking over a set of drawings. Because, you know, again, there are drawings because they have to construct it. So, the, you know, the builders need it. 
And I would say, do you want this, this, this? We'd sketch things out on paper where things might lay out. It's really not a engineering blueprint, but it's it kind of gives a layout of where everything is. And we would point out certain things, and it would start to get the juices flowing in my mind about the number of circuits we're going to need and, and placements and things like that. Uh, before I even started things in Article 220 about the number of brand circuits that are necessary and the and all those type of things. So I'm walking, and then we'd go to the site as it gets to a certain stage after we made our initial meeting. And once I got on that site with them, preliminarily, I would walk around with it to make sure there was nothing that was different from what we originally discussed. Uh, and I'd have that drawing or something that I jotted down with the customer to make sure that everything is is agreeable, that there's no sudden changes at the last minute that's going to affect my plan of attack, which is I'm working on uh, in this whole process. Now, as this apprentice, you're not probably going to be in that stage because you probably didn't have any input into the design. But when you get all that taken care of and you have everything set up and you kind of have an idea other than a spec house where you're just laying it out in accordance with code minimums, uh, once you get to that site, you're going to you're going to deliver all the boxes, your nail-up boxes and switch boxes, single gangs, two gangs, three gangs, uh, all those type of things. You're going to start walking around. Now, the first thing that I would do on site, once I knew and had a game plan, is I would go in with my ruler or tape measure. Uh, I used to take an actual a dowel. I had a dowel that was, I think it was a three-quarter inch dowel. And I had marked on it with Sharpie at certain heights. And I would use it. I had a switch height. I had a receptacle height. I had special appliance heights. I had countertop heights and different things that I had marked on this dowel. And this dowel I have had for years. And um, I would take it on the job site and I would walk around the from room to room. Usually for me it was in a clockwise thing, but it really doesn't matter. And I'd walk around and I would mark all the heights of all of the boxes, switch boxes, Okay, so I had this this coveted dowel uh, or stick, if you will, that we would take and we keep it in the truck. And my guys also had one that I made for them. Uh, and you know, it just made sure that everything was uniform. Now, of course, sometimes we had to customize it depending on whether it was a a house that maybe that had some uh, shorter people in it. And they wanted some switch heights or or something short or lower than others. So. You know, you do have to customize it in some cases, but I'd always have that. And and I'd walk around the room, and of course, then I would have my helpers take the box of, of usually I used a lot of car line boxes, but you can use any, any brand you want, and they would throw them out at the location where I marked on the studs, okay? And so I'd mark it on the studs uh, where I wanted receptacle heights and where I wanted switch heights and, and things like that. So I'd mark that out. Now, once I did all of the nail-up box applications, then I would go around and start looking at where the luminaires were going to be. Okay, so I might have to measure off to center the rooms, or or I might have to do things like um, where I had to make a shim or, or something for dealing with uh, uh, the luminaires and whatnot. So I would do all that and mark that out so that, that all of my helpers knew exactly what we had to do and then I would also on the floor under where the luminaires were if I had to have a shim because for example the the luminaire needed to be shimmed out a couple inches or whatnot or I had a bracing that went in there I would mark on the floor the the shim that I needed in inches so that they could cut the shims themselves and and they would be able to have that cut because again I want the helper or the apprentice to do those things 
that's necessary so that I can start doing the laying out and things like that. And of course, I taught my apprentices how to do this as well so that they kind of got into this flow on a job site. They just walk around, mark things, throw boxes out uh, where necessary on the floor uh, so that they're right there for us to go around nailing them up and things like that. Um, uh, and of course, one of the things I did as, as, as the, not just the owner, but as the master, uh, is that I always took my apprentices uh, by the hand on the first couple jobs and showed them how to nail up a box so that they knew to keep a, a certain amount of extension of the box when you nailed it on the studs so we had consistency. Um, and of course, I expected them to teach other helpers as well because I believe that everybody has to assume a leadership role as you get more knowledge and put more time into it. Uh, so they would do that and of course, I would mark on the floor whether or not it was a, a needed to have a fan box uh, I would put, you know, I'd make a lightning symbol or luminaire symbol and I'd put an F in it, for example, for a ceiling fan uh, and things like that. Uh, all those things and my helpers or apprentices would kind of learn the different symbols that we would put on the floor and things like that. Um, of course, it all was marked on the plans at the same time so that they can get a feel for it and they can go back and look at the plans at, at any given time if they wanted uh, as well. So that's kind of my process. And, and during that process, um, I'm also getting a better understanding of, you know, what I need as far as wire. Now, of course, um, I already should have that idea of how much wire I need uh, prior. And, of course, you can always buy additional reels or rolls where necessary. So in my case, most of the homes I did, and again, it all depending on size, and you kind of get that feeling up front. Uh, and again, you're going to be there for multiple days, so you obviously... At the end of one day, you can go by the supply house in the morning and get some more if you need it. But I always started um, my dwellings, for example, with, I would buy like six or seven or eight, you know, just depends, you get the feel of 14-2 non-metallic sheath cable. A lot of people say, well, why don't you just do it all in 12? It has greater capacity. Well, I never saw the necessary need unless the customer wanted it. Uh, I'm protecting that 14 gauge at 15 amps. Uh, I'm going to lay it out so that I'm not going to exceed the potential load on that brand circuit anyway. Uh, again, that's part of you what you're going to learn in your design. Of course, you can do it in 12 gauge if you want and protect it at 20 amp overcurrent device. That's fine. Uh, but whether it's 14 gauge or 12 gauge, totally up to you. Except when you get into places like kitchens and laundry, which you're going to need, obviously, uh, 12 gauge, 20 amp anyway. So I always went out there with about six, seven, or eight. 250 foot reels of non-metallic sheath cable. Um, I would also have about four reels of 14.2 NMB as well. That's going to cover my kitchens, my laundries, things like that, uh, bathroom circuits and all that. So I'd always have that as well. Um, and preliminarily, I would usually get a reel of um, a 10.3 uh, because I'm going to need that for my water heater application and in some cases Maybe some HVAC units might utilize uh, 10 gauge for that. But I'd only get one reel for that because I'd play that by ear. And of course, if that's on the blueprint, I can get a good idea of where I'm going to place it or where it's called out. And so I can kind of get a good idea of the length of cable that I'm going to need for that up front. But of course, you can always buy additional reel or you might have some from a previous job as well. So as an apprentice, you're kind of getting your, your juices flowing by looking at the blueprints first, whether it's a blank or you actually move into calculating the, the lengths you need on the blueprint. But again, most residentials, you don't have any blueprint in place. So you're not going to get into that. You just kind of play it by ear. Um, I'm also, by this time, 
because of my interactions with the owner and, and looking at the, some of the drawings that are the building set of drawings. I also get an idea of, of the range and or where it's, maybe it's multiple ovens and maybe I need some 8-3 some with ground or, or whatnot or maybe 6-3 with ground. So I kind of get an idea on that uh, and I look at the length. Now usually on that I don't get it until the second day or so, so I can do some measurements while I'm there. So the first day, I'm really focused on nailing up boxes uh, and laying them out and getting everything marked, and then I can possibly start drilling some holes uh, in these studs, and then, of course, while I'm there, I can start getting some measurements that I need on some of the longer runs, uh, like maybe the air handler unit, outdoor uh, AC condensing unit. Um, and also things like ranges and ovens. So I can kind of get an idea of how I'm going to drill it, how I'm going to run it, whether it's through the rafters, uh, whether or not it's through the, the joists, uh, whether I'm going to drop down and go under, or I'm going to run everything overhead. And one of the things that we used to do on sites, and again, electricians and, and apprentices, most importantly, learn these things, or how your electrician likes to do things is, in many cases, we would do what's called the drop and under method. So if I had a crawl space, I would drop down over and come back up. It uses less wire rather than drilling all the way around the studs. So again, there's a lot of drilling that goes on around when you're going horizontal around studs and up and over. It uses a lot of wire. So a lot of times if I have a crawl space, it's much easier just to drill down below the actual device box and then run under and then back up. To the other device box or to a switch box and it uses less wire again you got to look at your installation uniquely different um, another thing we used to do is obviously the same thing would apply if we're on the second floor we could drill down and run now one of the things that apprentices have to look at and to learn is that maybe the lesser of two evils is do I have to drill all the floor joists and that's a lot of drilling as well maybe it's in a crawl space and it's tight or it's better and you save less time to just drill horizontally through the studs itself. Okay, so you have to look at the job. Every job's different. But as that drilling process goes, you might be easier to go horizontal through the studs or you might be able to drop down and go through floor joists. Or you might be in an application where you can save time whereas you actually go above the ceiling and where you might have an attic or something like that. So you gotta look at everyone different. And again, it was important to me as a master electrician to make sure that all my apprentices knew the options that they had. That, that's your job as a master electrician or even a journeyman electrician who's learned over the years to kind of tailor that installation. Each one is a little different and you need to train your apprentices. We're raising up the next generation of electricians and we really owe it to ourselves to train them. And also, everything starts from the journeyman training the actual apprentice or helper by really setting the tone of doing things right, okay? It's really important to make sure that they take pride in their work, that everything's done uh, in accordance with the National Electrical Code, but literally take pride in what you do. Even though it's hidden in the wall, you know it's there, I know it's there, I take a lot of pride in that. Uh, even something as simple as driving staples. Now, also as an owner, I was real critical because you know what? Every time you, you have your apprentices, and, and I usually explain this to them, you know, those staples or those wire nuts or those uh, uh, pigtails and, and leaving too much wire at the junction box so that you cut it off and you have a lot of waste, um, that affects the bottom line. And again, you want to get apprentices and journeymen in the mode that, look, it is simply not 
the job that you're going to Monday through Friday, it is a career. And you take a lot of pride in what you do. And someday your your aspiration should be to own your own electrical contracting business. Um, so think about those bottom lines and what saves every penny on a job. Uh, be very neat. I always recommend that you clean up after every day's work. I don't like to leave my projects in a mess with, with wood chips everywhere. It just You never know when that customer is going to walk into the job site. And I want to set the highest level of impression. You can say that's anal all you want, and you do it or not. I don't care. That's just the way I did it on every job. Uh, you could look at my job and that wire. You could actually put a level on it. I took a lot of pride in the work I did, and I was quick. Um, so um, many people know years ago I won the uh, National VICA contest for electrical wiring. So it's not just about code. My hands still have the scars from working every day in the field, and I still love it. And every chance I get, I like to get out there and, and actually put my hands on some work. So uh, if you're here in the McKinney area and you're roughing in some homes and you're listening to this podcast and you want me to come out and help you for a day, I'd love it. Give me a call. I still pull wire with the best of them. I probably wired thousands of homes in my career. Uh, in the first 10 years of my career, I spent a lot of time in commercial and residential, uh, both back and forth. Uh, our company was very popular back in Virginia at that time, and I mean, literally, we worked like uh, just a madman during those early years in the in the late 80s and early 90s. So, a good thing about wiring is it doesn't change a whole lot. We get new advancements in boxes, better quality, things like that, but you know what? The non-metallic sheet cable that I grabbed today is very much the same as what I grabbed back in the, in the late 80s, mid-80s, and the early 90s and whatnot. So, uh, it still runs the same way. Now, Let's talk a little bit about uniformity of how we run our cables. Um, one thing that I always did with the apprentices and helpers when they were new is I would take them to the job site. And you remember that dowel I was talking about? I actually had a mark on it that I would utilize for the level that I wanted my wires or cables, I guess, to be run at. Now, that is a bit anal, and as you get better, you'll learn to, for example, I used to have a Milwaukee with an extension, and a certain way that I propped it on my leg as I was drilling with my auger bit, I could make all the board holes uniform so it doesn't go up and down and look really nasty. It also helps for the pull so you don't potentially damage the sheathing on the non-metallic sheath cable. So I had a method of how I do it. So when I talked to an apprentice, I kind of what I did to illustrate the neatness that I wanted in them was that I would go around one of the rooms and I would mark the studs at a certain height. And I would say, I want you to drill out these studs and I want you to, to, to really focus on one, keeping the auger in the middle of the stud and because I didn't want to use nail plates if I didn't need them. And I wanted to see how they would drill and get the concept of, of how they would drill around this, this, uh, this room. And once they did it, then they got it. Okay, so I say always do that with your helper. Uh, a lot of electricians want to really want to get on the job and get done, but you need to take at least a portion of the day to always educate. Use it as an educational moment for your helper or apprentice because we want to teach them things like making sure you run the wires properly or when you're drilling overhead that you really make an effort and you do it safely on ladders and not on a bucket and things like that. We all want to go home to our family. So you really stress the importance of doing things right. Uh, drilling uniformed. If you do your home runs, make sure you drill all the holes uniformly so it really is neat looking. Um, people say, look, current travels in those conductors regardless of how neat it is. That is probably true, but neatness counts and taking pride in what you do uh, really means a lot. Just think, 
if you have a builder who does a lot of homes and they come into your homes and you're still doing it affordably, you're still doing it on a timely manner, and everything looks just so neat, the chances are they're going to love you and they're going to be your preferred electrical contractor on the next project they do, right? So think about those kind of things. So apprentices, work with your electrician to get an idea of how things lay out. Listen to what they say. Journeymen and masters, please step up and teach your apprentices. Show them all those little nuances of installations. Show them how to bore holes, how to do them at proper heights. Um, understand what happens when you get to those corners, how you drill those corners so that you know that you're going to make it around those corners neatly and not going to damage the cable. Um, show them how to hang recess cans properly and reinforce the actual metal guides that connect to the joists. So, for example, wrapping tape around them or tie wraps around the, the loose ends so that it keeps them in place and uniformed. Uh, different ways to do that. Um, show them how to splice conductors in boxes and make sure they have at least six inches of free conductor uh, in the box so that they can make those joints so somebody's not struggling to get to those pigtails when they come back and service something at a later date. Um, be careful of how you run your wires because you know that sheet rockers don't always use the right size sheetrock screws and it could damage your wire. Um, always give those little lessons on the importance of why we use GFCIs in bathrooms and outdoor locations and kitchen countertops and things like that. Um, whether you agree with the AFCIs or not, make sure that you explain to your helper as you're doing it why you're using AFCIs. If you don't know how or why you use them yourself and you just blindly put them in, then you need to listen to some of our podcasts or ask us questions about AFCIs. I'm more than happy to explain all the nuances to AFCIs and how they work, whether it's series or parallel arcing applications. Um, take the time to educate your apprentice. And you, the listener, as an apprentice, take pride in what you do. Ask your electrician to show you all these things. Don't be shy. You can do it in a way that helps you understand, but also doesn't make your electrician or master electrician feel awkward if they don't know something. You all can learn together. So those are just some of my tips on how I start a process. And I start laying things out and systematically we start finishing it up. Now the last thing that I typically as we're in the rough end stage is the panel. I install the panel uh, and I start bringing all the branch circuits and all the feeders into the panel and I neatly install them in the panel. I show the electrician, uh, I mean the uh, apprentice, how we bring them in, how we should secure the cables, how we strip the sheathing neatly without potentially damaging the conductors inside. I show them how to terminate the equipment granite conductors and the grounded conductors, um, how to do everything neat in a panel. So teach your apprentices um, and it really will pay dividends in the future when that apprentice moves on to a journeyman or even a master electrician and they carry on that lesson to other inspiring electricians. So thanks again for listening folks. Hopefully that answered your question and some of the things that I do and some of the thought processes that I have when I start a residential project. Thanks again for listening folks. Until next time stay safe and God bless.